Um, this morning, I want us to take a step into the Word of God, Malachi chapter 3. If you haven't already, if you would grab your study guide out of your bulletin, and feel free to grab one of the clipboards and a pen and the book racks in front of you. And let's jump into a discussion about proving God, putting God to the test. Now, there's a couple of ways you can look at this. And there's the way that we're not going to address other than just mention it right now. And then there's the way that we're going to specifically address through the remaining time of our study. The first way that we won't really go into is this part where we prove God through our personal experience. We prove God to be true to His Word, true to His promises through life itself. As we, as we live closely with Him, we watch His faithfulness to us. As we monitor His goodness to us, and we see the times that He's intervened in our lives, and we see those times when He should have exposed us for what we were, and yet, through His mercy and His goodness, He protected us and has given us that opportunity to get closer to Him today. And so through life, we prove the goodness of God. We've verified. I can tell you through my own life, as I've watched God's faithfulness to me, as I've watched God's faithfulness to my family, to our church, it is so crystal clear that God is trustworthy. But today, I want us to hit this from a different angle. In fact, if you read the, the title of the, the study today, Making God Prove Himself, it's a little bit eerie to think about, isn't it? We'll talk about that in just a second. But what I want us to do today is I want us to draw to a place to where we put God in a position to where He has to prove Himself. Now, lest you think that sounds sacrilegious, please hang with me for, for, for just a few minutes so that I can build this up so you can understand why I'm going this direction. Uh, don't, don't write me off just yet. So we're talking about making God prove himself. We're putting God to a test. We're trying God. A really good definition, a couple of good definitions that, that explain what this is all about is it's a procedure intended to establish the reliability of God. Another definition, an action designed to see if God will follow through on his promises. So here we are putting God to a test. Now there are three things that we need to see about this. Your first fill-in is this. We need to see the danger that is associated. Number one, notice the danger. If I had this to do over, I would have made that plural because I believe that there are multiple dangers associated, two with which I'm going to share with you. The first danger is that testing God is scary. It's, it's scary dangerous. Testing God. You think about what we're saying here. I'm going to put God, I'm going to make God prove himself. You can get really arrogant if you want to with that, but for me, I'm kind of shudder when I even say that I'm going to make God prove himself. I mean, who am I to call? you upon God. Who am I to speak and say, God, you've got to prove yourself. Who am I? Our study last week, I think, pointed very clearly to this. As we saw the enormity of God. Remember what we talked about, how God not only fills our universe, but he fills all universes around us. God is enormous in size. And as he looks at our little bitty earth, it must appear to him as a little blue marble. And as he looks at the little marble, he sees the little specks of humanity running around on the marble. And he says, you, 
you're going to test me? And so there is a scary danger about this. But here's the exclusion and here's the exception to the rule. It's okay to do this when God tells you to. It really is. When God tells us, in fact, in verse 9, I think it is, God says, try me now in this. Put me to the test in where we're going today. I want you to test me. In fact, it's almost as if he's commanding us. He's saying, I want you to put me to this test. I want you to try me. It's an interesting concept, really. But nonetheless, it's scary. There's many places that we'd like to draw the line with God in our humanity and our pridefulness that we think somehow we have the ability or, or the, know, the, the knowledge in order to accomplish such a task, how foolish that is. But then and then we come to a place like this where God says, okay, it's okay because I want you to try me in this. I want you to test me. Letter A, your first fill-in under number one is that Testing God is scary. But letter B follows this. Your next fill in. If you catch up there, we go. Robbing God is crazy. <laughs> Robbing God is crazy. Now, I want you to think about this with me. Because the very first part of verse number 8, God asks a question of us that almost seems absolutely absurd. He says, will a man rob God? Will a man rob God? My thought is, how crazy is that? Of course not. I mean, who would have the courage to try and rob God? We're not talking about a person that may or may not find out that it was you that took something from them. We're not talking about a person that may or may not have the ability to do anything about it if they do find out it was you. But we're talking about God. The enormity of God is overwhelming. As he looks at us, these little specks on the, the blue marble and he says, will you rob me? You. You. Do you really think you're that big? Do you really think you're that powerful? That somehow, in your imagination, you've conjured up this way that you are going to rob me, God. And we think, how foolish is that? How ridiculous that someone would come up with such a notion that they could somehow rob the mighty God. How crazy is that? And yet God then responds and answers his own question in verse 8 when he says, Yet you have robbed me. And we think, no, God, it, that's not possible. Who would be so foolish? And God says, no, I'm not just directing this randomly. I'm talking very specifically to some individuals who have robbed me. Robbed me. Robbed me. And the response comes back in verse 8. But how have we robbed you? And God says, you've robbed me in tithes and offerings. Wow. You know, sometimes I think in our minds we, we get this thought that, you know, it's not that big of a deal. Okay, so God commands that we do this, commands that we do that. But, but really, if we do it or we don't, it's not really that big of a deal. But God calls us out here. He says, I want you to understand something. This is a big deal because what you're doing is robbing me of my tithes and my riches and my offerings, rather. 
You're robbing me. Now, my way of thinking, this is a very dangerous place to be. But I am so thankful that God doesn't leave us in danger in this particular setting. But in fact, what God does is he opens it up and he says, okay, but now I want to show you how to move from danger to something that is far greater. And in this, God issues a commandment to us. Number two, the commandment. Notice the command of God. The command of God dealing with this, he says you don't have to live in danger. You don't have to live according to that which is crazy or scary. What you can do, in fact, is live in victory. I want to bring you to a place of great victory. And so he says, how do you accomplish that? He takes us then to the next verse. He says, bring all the tithe into the storehouse. Now we know in our day and time, the storehouse is referring to the local church. Bring all the tithe into the local church so that there may be food in my house. There may be provisions in my house. The church may function the way God intends it to function. And we look at that and we begin to think, okay, well now, tithes and offerings, tithes and offerings, is there really a difference? Does he have to distinguish between the two? And allow me just to show you that, yes, there is a stark difference between the two. The tithe. The tithe represents 10%. By definition, a tithe is 10%. 10% of what I earn back in this day and time, that was their, their animals, their crops, their, 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 their fruit that would come off the tree. They would bring 10%, the first 10% of what they brought in to the temple. In our day and time, most of us don't have uh, big gardens. Some of us do, Mr. Brim, some of the others. You, you have your own gardens and you, you, you work them hard. But for the most part, what he's talking about now is that you make a, you make a paycheck, that you bring the first 10% of that paycheck and you give it to God. Give it to God. Say, so how do I determine what 10% is? I know some of you are not math people. Some of you... I don't know why in the world you would be, but some of you are English people. And some of you are science people. I don't understand you people. I honestly don't. But for those of us who are math people, this is really simple. But it may not be so for you. You may be looking and saying, well, you're the crazy one. But in order to understand 10%, it's really simple. $500, if your check was $500, all you do to know what 10% is, you move your decimal place over one. So with 500, 500, you move your decimal place closer to the five, you've got 50, that's 10%. If it's $479, you move it over, it's $47.90 is the tide. It's pretty simple when you think about it in those terms. So the tide is 10%. And Interestingly enough, it's something that we see throughout Scripture. It's something we see in the Old Testament. Some people would say, okay, that came along with the law of Moses, and certainly it's involved in the law of Moses, but it actually occurred much earlier than that. We find Abraham bringing a tithe to Melchizedek, who is the priest at that time, the priest of God. And so we see that it was given not only to the Jewish people, but to everyone. It wasn't contained in the law. 
And we see that in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 23, Jesus is talking to a group of people. And he said, you do a really good job of tithing, but you're forgetting the weightier things of the law, like love and mercy. He said, you should tithe, but not neglect these other things as well. So Jesus continued the institution of the tithe into the New Testament, into the Gospels. And you say, well, how does that relate to the offering? Is it the same? Certainly it's not. There's a big difference. The offering is also something that was represented quite early. In fact, Genesis chapter 4, you find them bringing their offerings before God. One offering was accepted, one offering was rejected. Had to do with the heart, the way it was brought. It's the same today. How its gift is presented to God. But an offering is something that is free will. A tithe is something that is commanded of God. Therefore, my tithe is not an offering. It is a bill. It's what I have to pay. It is due every time I get a paycheck. An offering on the other side is something that over and above my tithe, I do in order to just show God my appreciation. We have a lot of ways for you to do that. Number one is through our mission program. This is our biggest way. Last year, our church, this little church, gave over $260,000 to missions to send missionaries around the world. Something that I'm very blessed by. It just excites me to know in, to know that we're sending people around the world to share the fame of Jesus Christ in places that we'll never get to go ourselves. And so we have these opportunities through our Sunday school classes, our Bible study groups, and Sunday morning, uh, right here in the auditorium through the envelope system. You can write it down on the missions and submit it. You can give an offering over and above your tithe. So is there a difference? Yes. One is it's what I owe. One is just simply an offering to show my gratitude to God. You can also do that as we've seen in our Operation Outreach. We've had the opportunity to bring in things that we've bought in order to fill bags for people who find themselves in need right now. And so God gives us the commandment. He says there's a reason for me to command for you to do this and it's not something that goes wildly through your imagination, but it's just simply that this is what's going to bring you out of danger. Being obedient to me eliminates the danger of you robbing God. You know, this is something that we only really talk about. We only focus on a full study time about two times a year. But I think it's so important, it'd probably be better if we did it more frequently because of what's at stake here. You know, if I get to the point where I think I'm robbing God, I am robbing God, it ought to scare me to the place where I say, well, what do I have to do to fix this problem? And God says, well, here's the command. Bring the tithe into the storehouse. Well, that then brings us to one more thing. And in my way of thinking, this one is kind of the icing on the cake. This is really a very sweet and special thing that God does for us. Because it would very much be enough for God just to simply say, Hey, I'm God. You're not. I command this. Do it. And we say, Okay, you're God. You're right. You command it. I'll do it. Do it. But God then says, okay, here's the danger. Here's why you don't want to do it. And then here's the command. Here's why you would do what I'm telling you to do in order to avoid the danger. 
But then he goes a step further and he says, and I want you to see something. You act in obedience and you watch what I do. Number three, you see the promise. The promise. Once again, if I had it to do over, I would say that this ought to be plural as well. This ought to be promises because while it's contained as one, it's actually broken down into two chunks. God says, you be obedient to me, you avoid the danger of robbing me, and in the process, I'm going to do something for you that doesn't get accomplished any other way. Letter A, you first fill in. By the way, once you complete these fill-ins, please don't put your notes up. Keep them out to the very end. Letter A, he says, I will bless you. I will bless you. The middle to the end of verse 10, he says, See if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for, such, uh, for you such blessings there will not be room enough to receive it. Look at verse 10, the full verse. Bring all the tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. Now I understand that there are those who would use this to say, you know what? That means that uh, you give a little bit and God's going to make you rich and wealthy. I want you to know that I do not promote that. There are those that God does make rich and wealthy. And I praise the Lord for them. But for the most of us, we don't fit into that category. We don't. We've been obedient. Melinda and I have been obedient to this matter of tithing. Uh, all, if not all, most of our married lives. There were times when I, when I second-guessed it and I tried to pull away and my brother gave me some really good advice. He said, I told him, I said, I just don't think I can afford to give anymore. And he said, you know what? I don't think I could afford not to. Well, pretty smart. And throughout it all, we've watched as God blessed our life, not, not necessarily financially, it's always met our needs. But the blessings that God has poured out upon us have been the intangible things. Relationships. And favor of God in our work and in our communities. It's the way God has blessed us. And, and interestingly enough, God paints a really cool picture here. He says, I'm going to open the window of heaven. I think that's pretty neat to think about. I'm going to reach out and I'm going to open the window of heaven and I'm going to pick up my basket that's filled with blessings and I'm going to pour them out, not sparingly. Not that you grab one or two and you think, oh wow, wouldn't it be enough? Yeah, the blessings of God, whether it's one or two. But God says, what I want to do is pour out for you such blessings in such quantity that you will not even be able to receive it all. Once again, we go to a place that this is overwhelming. God is willing to do this for me. God is willing to bless my life in such a way because I'm simply doing what I'm supposed to do. You know, we find places in Scripture, Romans chapter 12, but the Bible study we've been doing on Sunday evening uh, is one of those instances where, where God shows us very clearly in that passage that this is what you're supposed to do, and you shouldn't be waiting for people to stand on the sideline and applaud you. No, because this is just what you're supposed to do. 
But here we find this incredible icing on the cake where God says, you do what I tell you you're supposed to do, and I'm going to bless you abundantly for it. And here's where the try me comes in when he says, try me in it. Put me to the test. See if I won't prove myself faithful in what I'm telling you I'm going to do. So he says, letter A, I will bless you. Letter B, the second part, at least the second part of the promise, if not the second promise altogether. He said, I will prevent loss. I will prevent loss. Verse 11 says this, And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field. Okay, now in this day and time, uh, people out planting, this is the way they survived. This is the way they traded for other food. This is the way they got the food they needed to eat. This is the way they bought and sold through bartering. The plants that were in the field, they, they took great care of those plants. And God said, some of you are losing what you have because you're not faithful to me. I've allowed the devour, devourer to enter into your fields and destroy what you have. You're not getting what you would be getting normally if you were simply faithful and obedient to me. But he says, if you will be faithful, if you will follow my command, not only will you step out of the danger of robbing me, but you will also enter into something that is far greater because I will rebuke the devourer to where when you used to have all these extra bills that you didn't know where they were coming from. All the extra doctor bills, the car bills, all the extra things that were going on. I will rebuke the devourer to where he will not be taking away your paycheck. In other words, God is saying, I'm getting it one way or another. It's leaving you one way or the other. You decide if you want to do, through it, do it through obedience or disobedience. And so God lays it out very clearly for us. Here it is. There's a great danger in what's happening in the churches today. And that is that many people are neglecting the tithe and the offering. And thereby, what they're doing is they are robbing Almighty God. And God says, so I'm issuing you a command, not just for the sake of giving a command, but I'm issuing a command because this is absolutely what's best for you. Stop robbing me. Start bringing the tithe into the storehouse. And then God says, and if you will do that, I'm promising you something that I want you to put me to the test in. I want you to try me and see if I won't bless you. And if I won't prevent loss in your life, you watch and see what happens. I had the, the pleasure of talking to a young lady in our church, single mother at that time. She, recently been married but at that time a single mother and one of the two times in the year I spoke about this uh, she said you know what I am robbing God and I'm not going to do that any longer and she started that day tithing I didn't know it I didn't I don't keep up with those things uh, 
But she came to me about four months later and she said, you know what? You challenged us to test God. And honestly, when I looked at my books, I thought there is no way I can afford to do this. And she said, now I feel just like what your brother told you. I don't think I could afford to not trust God and tithe the way he tells me. Because I have seen him meet our needs in ways that I never thought possible. Melinda and I have experienced the exact same thing. Things come up and we just think, how in the world? And somehow, God always meets the need. So it is my desire for us that we be obedient to God. And instead of being in a dangerous place, we reap the benefits of obedience. So what do we do with this information? You know, for those of us who may be in the process of robbing God even now, that today we just come to the realization, God, I, I, I know you're trustworthy. I've seen it in my life, and therefore I know you're trustworthy in my finances as well. And so I'm going to honor you. I'm going to be obedient to your command, and I am going to put you to the test. I'm going to see what you do with this. And so we begin the process just simply by saying, God, I'm sorry. I confess my sin before you. I've robbed you. It's wrong. Give me the courage to do what I need to do. And for others, maybe you don't have a relationship with God. You've never come to know Him as, as, as God of your life through the sacrifice Jesus Christ made on the cross of Calvary. And as a result, you may be giving, but you should not expect the blessings of God. In fact, I would tell you, if you're not a child of God, you might as well keep your money, honestly. If, if what you hope to get out of it is the blessings of God, you might as well keep your money because God is telling us that, that He takes care of His children. And so the one who rebukes the devourer, the one who blesses through pouring out blessings from heaven is the same one who's caring for his children. You're not promised this. This promise is not for you. I don't want to lead you astray and making you think that, oh, this is all I've got to do. Because God's looking at the heart. He knows what's in the heart. He knows why we're giving. He's wanting us to see out of he's wanting to see out of us a giving of gratitude, of thankfulness to him. And so your first step would not to be to simply start giving, but to come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And you say, Well, I don't know how to do that. Can I tell you that we would love to show you how you can know Christ as your personal Savior? In just a minute, I'm going to ask you to stand. And when I do, uh, the ladies are going to come to the instruments. And Jason's going to come to sing. And, and when he's there, he's going to begin singing. It's going to open up an opportunity for you to respond to what God's calling you to do. If you just need to spend time in prayer, you can do it up front. You can do it where you are. But if you want to know Jesus Christ as Savior, let me invite you just to come and meet me here at the front. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to point you out. I'm not going to call your name. We're not asking you to give anything, be part of anything, sign up for anything. We're not going to pressure you to do anything. But what we will do is take God's Word and show you how you can know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior.
If you'd like to know more about that, then can I invite you just to come and see me in just a minute, would you? So how will we respond to the message? It's your choice now.